Chapter Three of The Black Arrow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Black Arrow by Robert Louis Stevenson. Book One, Chapter Three The Fen Ferry. The river Till was a wide, sluggish, clayey river, oozing out of fens, and in this part of its course it strained among some score of willow-covered, marshy islets. It was a dingy stream, but upon this bright-spirited morning everything was become beautiful. The wind and the martens broke it up into innumerable dimples, and the reflection of the sky was scattered over all the surface in crumbs of smiling blue. A creek ran up to meet the path, and close under the bank the ferryman's hut lay snugly. It was of wattle and clay, and the grass grew green upon the roof. Dick went to the door and opened it. Within, upon a foul old russet cloak, the ferryman lay stretched and shivering, a great hulk of a man, but lean and shaken by the country fever. "'Eh, hey, Master Shelton,' he said, be ye for the ferry? Ill times, ill times. Look to yourself. There is a fellowship abroad. You were better turn round on your two heels and try the bridge. Nay, time's in the saddle, answered Dick. Time will ride, Hugh Ferryman. I am hot in haste. A wilful man, returned the ferryman, rising. And you went safe to the moat house. You have done lucky, but I say no more and then catching sight of Matcham, "'Who be this?' he asked, as he paused, blinking, on the threshold of his cabin. "'It is my kinsman, Master Matcham,' answered Dick. "'Give ye good day, good ferryman,' said Matcham, who had dismounted, and now came forward, leading the horse. "'Launch me your boat, I prithee. We are sore in haste.' The gaunt ferryman continued staring. "'By the mass!' he cried at length, and laughed with open throat. Matcham coloured to his neck and winced, and Dick, with an angry countenance, put his hand on the lout's shoulder. "'How now, churl?' he cried. "'Fall to thy business, and leave mocking thy betters.' Hugh Ferryman grumblingly undid his boat, and shoved it a little forth into the deep water. Then Dick led in the horse, and Matcham followed. "'Ye be mortal small maid, master,' said Hugh, with a wide grin. "'Something of the wrong model, belike. "'Nay, Master Shelton, I am for you,' he added, getting to his oars. "'A cat may look at a king. "'I did but take a shot of the eye at Master Matcham.' "'Sirrah, no more words,' said Dick. "'Bend me your back.' They were by that time at the mouth of the creek, and the view opened up and down the river. Everywhere it was enclosed with islands. Clay banks were falling in, willows nodding, reeds waving, martens dipping and piping. There was no sign of man in the labyrinth of waters. "'My master,' said the ferryman, keeping the boat steady with one oar, "'I have a shrew guess that John a Fan is on the island. He bears me a black grudge to all Sir Daniels.' "'How if I turned me upstream and landed you an arrow flight above the path? "'You were best not meddle with John Fenn.' "'How, then, is he of this company?' 
asked Dick. "'Nay, mum is the word,' said Hugh. "'But I would go up water, Dick. How if Master Matcham came by an arrow?' And he laughed again. "'Be it so, Hugh,' answered Dick. "'Look ye, then,' pursued Hugh. "'Sith it shall so be. Unsling me your crossbow. So. Now make it ready. Good. Place me a quarrel. Ay, keep it so. Look upon me grimly.' "'What meaneth this?' asked Dick. "'Why, my master, if I steal you across, it must be under force or fear,' replied the ferryman. "'For else, if John Fenn got wind of it, he were like to prove my most distressful neighbour. "'Do these churls ride so roughly?' Dick inquired. "'Do they command Sir Daniel's own ferry?' "'Nay,' whispered the ferryman, winking, "'mark me, Sir Daniel shall down.' His time is out. He shall down. Mum! And he bent over his oars. They pulled a long way up the river, turned the tail of an island, and came softly down a narrow channel next the opposite bank. Then Hugh held water in midstream. I must land you here among the willows, he said. There is no path but willow swamps and quagmires, answered Dick. "'Master Shelton,' replied Hugh, "'I dare not take ye nearer down, for your own sake now. He watcheth me the ferry, lying on his bow. All that go by and owe Sir Daniel good will, he shooteth down like rabbits. I heard him swear it by the rood. And I had not known you of old days, I and from so high upward, I would have let you go on. But for old days' remembrance—' and because you had this toy with you that's not fit for wounds or warfare, I did risk my two poor ears to have you over whole. Content you, I can no more, on my salvation. Hugh was still speaking, lying on his oars, when there came a great shout from among the willows on the island, and sounds followed as of a strong man breasting roughly through the wood. A murrain! cried Hugh. He was on the upper island all the while! He pulled straight for shore. Threat me with your bow, good Dick, threat me with it plain, he added. I have tried to save your skins, save you mine. The boat ran into a tough thicket of willows with a crash. Matcham, pale but steady and alert, at a sign from Dick, ran along the thwarts and leaped ashore. Dick, taking the horse by the bridle, sought to follow, but what with the animal's bulk, and what with the closeness of the thicket, both stuck fast. The horse neighed and trampled, and the boat, which was swinging in an eddy, came on and off and pitched with violence. "'It may not be, Hugh, here is no landing,' cried Dick, but he still struggled valiantly with the obstinate thicket and the startled animal. A tall man appeared upon the shore of the island, a longbow in his hand. Dick saw him for an instant, with the corner of his eye, bending the bow with a great effort, his face crimson with hurry. "'Who goes?' he shouted. "'Hugh, who goes?' "'Tis Master Shelton, John,' replied the ferryman. "'Stand, Dick Shelton,' bawled the man upon the island. "'You shall have no hurt, bon the rude. Stand! Back out, Hugh ferryman!' Dick cried a taunting answer. "'Nay, then, you shall go afoot!' 
returned the man, and he let drive an arrow. The horse, struck by the shaft, lashed out in agony and terror. The boat capsized, and the next moment all were struggling in the eddies of the river. When Dick came up he was within a yard of the bank, and before his eyes were clear his hand had closed on something firm and strong that instantly began to drag him forward. It was the riding-rod that Matcham, crawling forth upon an overhanging willow, had opportunely thrust into his grasp. "'By the mass!' cried Dick, as he was helped ashore. "'That makes a life I owe you. I swim like a cannonball.' And he turned instantly towards the island. Midway over, Hugh Ferryman was swimming with his upturned boat, while John Affen, furious at the ill-fortune of his shot, bawled to him to hurry. "'Come, Jack,' said Shelton, "'run for it. Ere Hugh can hail his barge across, or the pair of them can get it righted, we may be out of cry.' And adding example to his words, he began to run, dodging among the willows, and in marshy places leaping from tussock to tussock. He had no time to look for his direction. All he could do was to turn his back upon the river and put all his heart to running. Presently, however, the ground began to rise, which showed him he was still in the right way, and soon after they came forth upon a slope of solid turf, where elms began to mingle with the willows. But here Matcham, who had been dragging far into the rear, threw himself fairly down. "'Leave me, Dick,' he cried pantingly. "'I can no more.' Dick turned and came back to where his companion lay. "'Nay, Jack, leave thee.' he cried. That were a knave's trick, to be sure, when ye risked a shot and a ducking, ay, and a drowning too, to save my life. Drowning in sooth, for why I did not pull you in along with me, the saints alone can tell. Nay, said Matcham, I would have saved us both, good Dick, for I can swim. Can ye so? cried Dick with open eyes. It was the one manly accomplishment of which he was himself incapable. In the order of the things that he admired, next to having killed a man in single fight, came swimming. Well, he said, here is a lesson to despise no man. I promise to care for you as far as Holywood, and by the rood, Jack, ye are more capable to care for me. Well, Dick, we're friends now, said Matcham. "'Nay, I never was unfriends,' answered Dick. "'Ye are a brave lad in your way, albeit something of a milksop, too. <laughs> I never met your like before this day. But prithee, fetch back your breath, and let us on. Here is no place for chatter.' "'My foot hurts shrewdly,' said Matcham. "'Nay, I had forgot your foot,' returned Dick. "'Well, we must go the gentlier.' I would I knew rightly where we were. I have clean lost the path, yet that may be for the better, too. And they watched the ferry, they watched the path, belike, as well. I would Sir Daniel were back with two score men. He would sweep me these rascals as the wind sweeps leaves. Come, Jack, lean ye on my shoulder, ye poor shrew. Nay, you are not tall enough. What age are ye for a wager? Twelve? "'Nay, I am sixteen, said Matcham. "'Ye are poorly grown to height, then,' answered Dick. "'But take my hand. 
We shall go softly, never fear. I owe you a life. I am a good repayer, Jack, of good or evil. They began to go forward up the slope. We must hit the road, early or late, continued Dick, and then for a fresh start. By the mass! But you have a rickety hand, Jack. If I had a hand like that, I would think shame. I tell you— he went on with a sudden chuckle. <laughs> I swear by the mass, I believe Hugh Ferryman took you for a maid. Nay, never, cried the other, colouring high. He did, though, for a wager, Dick exclaimed. Small blame to him. You look like her maid the man. And I tell you more, you are a strange-looking rogue for a boy. But for a hussy, Jack, you would be right fair. You would. You would be well favoured for a wench. <laughs> well, said Matcham, you know right well that I am none. Nay, I know that. I do but jest, said Dick. You'll be a man before your mother, Jack. What cheer, my bully! You shall strike shrewd strokes. Now which, I marvel, of you or me, shall be first knighted, Jack? For knighted I shall be, or die for it. Sir Richard Shelton, knight, it soundeth bravely, but Sir John Matcham soundeth not amiss. Prithee, chick, stop till I drink, said the other, pausing where a little clear spring welled out of the slope into a gravelled basin no bigger than a pocket. And, oh, Dick, if I might come by anything to eat, my very heart aches with hunger. Why, fool, did you not eat at Ketley? asked Dick. "'I had made a vow. It was a sin I had been led into,' stammered Matcham. "'But now, if it were but dry bread, I would eat it greedily.' "'Sit ye then and eat,' said Dick, while that I scout a little forward for the road. And he took a wallet from his girdle, wherein were bread and pieces of dry bacon, and while Matcham fell heartily too, struck farther forth among the trees.' A little beyond there was a dip in the ground, where a streamlet soaked among dead leaves, and beyond that, again, the trees were better grown and stood wider, and oak and beech began to take the place of willow and elm. The continued tossing and pouring of the wind among the leaves sufficiently concealed the sounds of his footsteps on the mast. It was for the ear what a moonless night is to the eye but for all that Dick went cautiously, slipping from one big trunk to another, and looking sharply about him as he went. Suddenly a doe passed like a shadow through the underwood in front of him, and he paused, disgusted at the chance. This part of the wood had been certainly deserted, but now that the poor deer had run, she was like a messenger he should have sent before him to announce his coming, and instead of pushing farther, he turned him to the nearest well-grown tree, and rapidly began to climb. Luck had served him well. The oak on which he had mounted was one of the tallest in that quarter of the wood, and easily outtopped its neighbours by a fathom and a half. And when Dick had clambered into the topmost fork, and clung there, swinging dizzily in the great wind, he saw behind him the whole fenny plain as far as Ketley and the till wandering among woody islets, and in front of him the white line of high road winding through the forest. The boat had been righted. It was even now midway on the ferry. Beyond that there was no sign of man, 
nor aught moving but the wind. He was about to descend when, taking a last view, his eye lit upon a string of moving points about the middle of the fen. Plainly a small troop was threading the causeway, and that at a good pace, and this gave him some concern as he shinned vigorously down the trunk and returned across the wood for his companion. End of chapter 3